Well, today uh, we want to finish up our series on the subject of prayer, and we want to do it by looking at the passage Joy read for us earlier from Colossians chapter 4. The subject today is on praying for others, praying for others, that following Jesus is a team sport, that if you follow Jesus or you ever come to follow Jesus, it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And so, we're looking at the subject of praying for others, the importance of praying for others. When I was in seminary in Nashville, I got a call from my aunt, and she told me that she and my cousins, I'm the oldest of the cousins, she and all my younger cousins were going to be in town, and what, did I have any free time to spend with them? And I said, sure. And then I asked the question I should have asked first, so what brings you guys to town? Turns out my cousin Kimber was in the state uh, high school cheerleading competition. So that's what I spent my Saturday doing. I sat at an arena on the outskirts of Nashville watching the state high school cheerleading competition for the state of Tennessee. I learned two things on that day. First, I learned that I'm not flexible enough to be a cheerleader. They do something called a scorpion, which I cannot simulate for you except that they put the heel of their foot to the back of their head, and that's as far as I can get. I'm not flexible enough to be a cheerleader. The other thing I learned on that day is that you do not want to be the smallest person on your cheerleading squad. <laughs> because if you are, here's what they will do. They will pick you up really high in the air, and then they will throw you even higher. And the, so you're way up in the air having to smile real big, uh, and I'm probably all the while thinking, I hope these jokers catch me. You're smiling because you realize you're in a bad situation right here. But you got to mask it, and you hope everybody catches you. I would far rather be one of the people with my feet on the ground, personally. And as I've thought a little bit more about this, this does relate to the sermon, as I thought a little bit more about that, I realized that I sometimes take the same approach to prayer, and that it's not such a good thing when applied to prayer. I prefer to be the one with my feet on the ground, not the one hoping people catch me as I'm falling. My point being, through prayer, God calls us out of invulnerability. Through prayer, God is inviting us to be more vulnerable in our relationships, our relationships with God and our relationships with other people. Prayer is an invitation, a calling out of invulnerability. Someone asked me after 9.30, does that mean not, be, not vulnerable? Yes, that's what that word means. God, through prayer, God calls us out of being invulnerable. Prayer is an invitation to be vulnerable in our relationships with God and other people. There is something in me, and maybe there's something in you, that resists being dependent upon others, that resists needing the help of others, that resists having to trust other people, that other people will be there to catch me. You may have gotten good at keeping up appearances, or maybe you keep God at a distance because you hate admitting your own need. Prayer is an invitation out of that kind of invulnerability. Prayer is an invitation out of wearing masks. It's an invitation into deeper community, a place to know and be known. So from the passage from earlier, we see this contrast. In verse 3, it says, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
Now, to reiterate, there is nothing wrong with praying for yourself. There is nothing wrong with praying for yourself. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of people who pray for themselves, the most famous one being Jesus, always a safe guess at church. Jesus prayed for Himself. There is nothing wrong with praying for yourself. But in Colossians 4, we see something a little different. Paul is writing the letter from prison. He is once again in the clink. And from there, after he writes the bulk of the letter, he gets to the end, and he starts to do what he usually does at the end of his letters. He's like, well, let me tell you who else is here and how they're doing. It's very personal. We can be tempted to read over that stuff, but I would encourage you not to read over it. It gives you details into the workings of the early Christians. So he kind of says, how's it going? Here's the people with me, and here's what's going on with us. And he asks the recipients of the letter, the Christians in this church family in Colossae, will you pray for me? Will you pray for these specific things for me? Will you pray for these Christians who are with me? And then a few verses later in verse 12, we read this, Epaphras, who is one of you, in other words, from the church at Colossae, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So Paul writes, hey, Christians in Colossae, will you pray for these specific things for me and the people who are with me? And by the way, we are praying for these specific things for you especially Epaphras. Epaphras fights for you in his prayers. I love that image. He fights for you. He wrestles for you in his prayers. You see what the early Christians are modeling here? They're modeling vulnerability. That prayer is an invitation into being more vulnerable. It's, being, it's a vulnerable thing to take your needs to God, to admit that you cannot do or be all that you need to do or be, and so you have needs and you present those honestly, openly to your Creator, that you need God's grace and provision for what you lack. But there's a second layer of vulnerability being modeled here, and it's this. It's finding a community of people with whom you can be vulnerable. The early Christians decided, instead of I just pray for me and you just pray for you, why don't I pray for you and you pray for me? That way, the same requests are getting up there, the same requests get to God, but it does so in a way that we draw into deeper community with one another. It's a new and a second layer of vulnerability. Following Jesus is a team sport. Prayer is a team effort. You and I are designed for community. Community will be there to catch us when we are helpless. It will be there to catch us when we fall. We are made better in community. Even though community is hard sometimes, we are made better in community. Some of us have this sort of a community. It's a Bible study. It's a small group. It's a community group. It's a team we serve on. It's a mission group that we've been a part of or, or, or uh, are still a part of. It's a place where we know and are known, where we feel safe to be more vulnerable, to ask others to pray for what we need. Now, some of us are still looking for that kind of a community, and my encouragement to you would be keep on looking. Keep on going for it. That sort of community can be difficult to find. It can take time. That, that it's taking you some time is not, not a bad thing. You're searching for something very precious. And in fact, each of us has a role to play in creating that sort of a community. 
a place where you can be vulnerable and others feel uh, safe and comfortable to be vulnerable as well, a place where you can know and be known, where you can invite others into what's really going on, not just the, the pretty facade or front that you can put up or that I can put up, what's really going on and how can we be in prayer for one another. Prayer is a team sport, an invitation out of being invulnerable to being known and to know. So the early Christians modeled for us, instead of just I pray for you, and, uh, or I pray for me and you pray for you, why don't I pray for you and you pray for me? Same requests, get to God, but we're drawn into closer community. So the question might be then, what did the early Christians pray for each other? What did they ask each other to be praying for? So I'm going to show you the top three that they did. Um, there are others, but these are the top three. I'm not going to take time, because we had the baptisms today and confirmations, I'm not going to take the time to compare this list to the first sermon about what Jesus prayed for. That's extra credit. If you want to compare the lists and have me a full report by Thursday, that would be awesome. Or the next time we do a series on prayer, that's extra credit. But this is what the earliest Christians prayed for one another. They prayed for number one, number one, number, 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 number one. They prayed for growth in their faith. They prayed for growth in their faith. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So as you and I think about how we might pray for ourselves or pray for others, the early Christians show us they prayed often for one another's growth in faith. Colossians 4, Epaphras was praying for the people of the church family to become mature and fully assured in their faith. That was the phrase. To be mature and fully assured in following Jesus. Would you like to be mature and fully assured in your faith? Now, there's nothing wrong with being young in your faith. There's nothing wrong with just starting to be growing in your faith. That's a really good thing. And it's a real encouragement to people who have been Christians for a long time to see people, who, to see things again through your eyes. It reminds us how amazing grace actually is. It reminds us how wondrous this whole faith thing actually is. There's nothing wrong with being young in your faith. We also need to remember being young is a phase. It is generally cute when my two-year-old acts like a two-year-old. It is never cute when I act like a two-year-old, so I am told. <laughs> and so being young is a phase. It's a good phase. It's a wonderful phase. And it's a phase, and the early Christians prayed for each other, and I pray that you and I will pray for each other. Growth in our faith, progress in our faith growing up in what it means to follow Jesus until a point where we might become mature and fully assured in our faith. We're not there yet. There's still road ahead, but we can pray for one another to become more mature and more assured in our faith, mature in our character, mature in our mercy, mature in our generosity, in how we love and serve and study and grow, how we face adversity and hard times and opposition mature and fully assured, and to help others do the same. So what did the early Christians pray for each other? Number two, they prayed for opportunities to talk about Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. 
We saw the same thing in uh, Colossians chapter 4, pray that the message of Christ will uh, spread and pray that I don't mangle it. That makes me feel a little bit better. The early Christians were not shy to talk about Jesus with other people. Now, they weren't ugly about it either. The Bible actually says that the, when, if you or I are going to share with someone about the difference Jesus has made in our lives, we should be gentle and respectful. Those are the Bible words, gentle and respectful. Our passage today says, full of grace, seasoned with salt. So if you are somebody or uh, you know somebody who loves to talk about Jesus, but when they do so, they are not gentle or respectful, then we need to go back to point number one, number one, number one, and pray for their growth in faith, or, or for your, for my growth in faith, because the, the Bible standard in, in talking about the difference Jesus has made in your life is to be gentle and respectful. God's family grows one more person at a time, and God puts these one more people in our lives, the people we can point towards Jesus, the, the difference Jesus has made in our lives. If you follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, the early Christians prayed for each other. I will pray for you, you pray for me, that we will have open doors to talk about the difference Jesus has made in our lives. And when those open doors come, that we will have the, the courage to walk through them, but to be gentle and respectful as we do. Now, some people get freaked out about this because they're like, I don't have all the answers. Sometimes it's good to not have all the answers. That can feel a little prepackaged, like you learn something at a weekend seminar. So sometimes it's helpful to be able to say, I'm still trying to figure this stuff out too, but I can just tell you this is the difference I've seen Jesus make in my life. Finally, what did the early Christians pray for each other? A bunch of things, but number three, number three, number three, number, number. They prayed for miraculous healing. They prayed for miraculous healing. James 5.14 says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, in Western civilization, we don't really get this one. We don't know what to do with this one. Because, we would say, modern medicine has, has grown leaps and bounds in the last 2,000 years. And that's true. So if you're sick, go see a doctor. And I agree. If your body is sick, go see a doctor. If your mind is struggling, go see a doctor. And let's pray for your healing. Let, let's attack this from two directions. That's part of why I asked uh, Molly to share a little bit of her story about a time of, of someone experiencing miraculous healing at the hands of God, the great physician, through the prayers of other people. I also appreciate her willingness to admit it, she still struggles with things, but still miraculous. We, in the life of our church, we have prayed for miraculous things for people, and sometimes we have seen them happen. And sometimes we have not seen them happen. There's no way to conjure up miracles. But part of the beauty of praying for miracles for one another and miraculous healing for folks is that part of the cure is it draws us out of our isolation. It draws us out of our invulnerability. Tragedy and difficulty has a way of being very isolating. And so one of the things we do for one another when we pray for miracles for one another, miraculous healing for one another, is that we are coming out of being invulnerable, out of our isolation. 
Now, of course, there's no magic formula to miracles. God's not obligated to perform miracles, and in fact, God often prefers to work in very ordinary ways, the kind of ways that you wouldn't notice unless you believed in God and believed that God was at work. At the same time, there are moments, unexpected, not scripted, where out of God's amazing grace, He will change a person or a situation so dramatically that you and I can only stand back and say, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. There's one last thing that I want to just point your attention to. What did the early Christians pray for each other? Chiefly, they prayed for growth in their faith, miraculous healings, and opportunities to talk about Jesus. But there's one more passage I want to point out to you. Ephesians chapter 3 says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. I said a few weeks ago, my two-year-old has determined that I'm supposed to put her to bed every night. And so, um, in the midst of that routine, I will sing, and this is a loose term, I will sing the, the song, Jesus Loves Me, and at some point, I will tell her that we, uh, her, her family, her church family, we love her more than she will ever know. That's not to say she doesn't love things, right? She does love things. She loves Elmo. She loves Daniel Tiger. She loves when Alexa turns on the floor lamp. She loves things. My, that's at my parents' house, by the way. I don't even know what that is. So when I turn on our lamp, I say, Alexa, turn on the floor lamp, and then I, you know, hit the little button on the lamp. She loves this stuff. I'm a pastor. I don't, you know, I don't, can't have all this stuff. So anyway, she loves stuff, but that gives her only an itty-bitty window into the sort of love that I have for her or, or that her mother or that, uh, or that you all or anyone. It's just a little bit. It's a little window. And so finally, you know, thick-skulled me, I put this together. I tell her and I say, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you, as if I have any idea what that means. Because I love stuff. I love my family. I love this church family. Someone at 8.15 pointed out, I love the Taco Bell. I love things. But that gives me like even an itty-bitty window into what it must mean that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you. If only we could grasp the depth of those simple words, yes, Jesus loves me. In the same way my daughter Indy has to look I don't know how she could level up to understand based on what she loves how much I love her. I wonder if how in the world I could ever, ever level up from what I love to what it means that Jesus loves me to, to create and to redeem at great sacrifice to Himself. What does it mean that Jesus loves me? I pray for you. I pray for me. I pray for our ministry partners, those confirmed and baptized. I pray for us we might be overcome by those simple words. Yes, Jesus loves me. That His love finds us in our greatest victories and finds us in our deepest wounds, that through His amazing love, Jesus will welcome anyone into God's eternal family, and that Jesus will pursue us when we are running a hundred miles an hour the other direction. 
I pray that we'll be overcome as we see that the love of Christ is greater, it's wider, it's higher, it's longer, it's more generous, it's more just than anything we could have ever imagined, and that this love will change us and change people and change situations in such a way that we will stand back. We thought they were beyond repair, and yet we will be overcome as we see the love of Jesus in action. I pray that you and that I will know this love. Know this love, the love of Jesus. Not just think about it intellectually, not just write out a paper about it. Know it experientially that God the Holy Spirit will peel away your invulnerability, will peel away my invulnerability so that we can be overcome by the grace and the truth of simple words. Yes, Jesus loves me. So my question for us as I close out the series on prayer would be this. How does or how could God use prayer to call you out of invulnerability? How does or how could God use prayer to call you out of invulnerability? As you and I draw closer to Him, draw closer into His community, and are transformed. How could prayer draw you out of invulnerability in your relationship with God, in your relationships at home, in your relationships at work, in church? How, how, could this, how could this be the opportunity for God, the Holy Spirit, to peel off another layer of you and me thinking, we got to have it all together. We got to put up the front. We got it all together. How could it happen? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, a chance to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, in this week, our thoughts turn to giving thanks. I thank you that none of us has to walk through life alone. That none of us has to bear our burdens all by ourselves. And that none of us has to carry the weight of our relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray that as a congregation, each of us, we'll continue to grow in this discipline of being vulnerable, being vulnerable with you about our needs, our desires, being vulnerable with one another so that we don't have to walk through life and carry only our burdens alone. And Lord, I pray for those of us who keep you at arm's distance. I pray today might be the day where we drop the arm and instead receive your embrace. I pray we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together with our voices and our offering and our prayer requests.